Shalom, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about two lessons about spiritual warfare that we can learn from the Feast of Hanukkah. It's an important message for the church today about saying no to assimilation and living on the offense instead of the defense. In this podcast, you will learn about the Hanukkah story, the strategy of the enemy in the end times, and I will give you keys to overcome. The story of Hanukkah teaches us about standing up for God, saying no to assimilation, and living in the offense instead of the defense against your enemy in order to take back the kingdom. It shows that evil doesn't go away by assimilation and tolerance, and we need to stand up for God more than ever. I'm Jennifer Guetta, a biblical archaeologist and scientist who came to know Jesus supernaturally. This is the Awestruck Podcast, where we discover secrets of the supernatural from an archaeologist who actually experienced it. If you want to read my testimony, then I suggest you read my book, Awestruck by Glory, which tells the whole story in details. You can find it on my website, Awestruck by Glory, or on Amazon and other online bookstores. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Awestruck with Jennifer Greta, or find me on Facebook and Insta. Now let's get started. Hanukkah is not one of the seven biblical feasts, but it is very anointed and takes place between the Testaments. It's biblical, and Daniel prophesied about it in the Old Testament in Daniel 11.21. And our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, he celebrated it in John 10.22. As with many biblical holidays, the lessons of Hanukkah are a shadow of things to come and illustrate how the spiritual world works. They are multifaceted and have many beautiful subjects, all related to the Bible and how God relates to man. On Hanukkah, we celebrate that light wins over darkness. We celebrate the rededication of the temple and standing up for your beliefs in difficult times. We also celebrate the fight against assimilation, God's miracle power, and his oil that keeps on flowing. Since this is one of the last feasts, many scholars have prophetically related it to the end times, the church, the tribulation, and the Antichrist. This is the story. In 165 BC, the Jewish people in Israel were living in the defensive and persecution from the Greek and Syrian oppressors. Antiochus Epiphanes wanted everyone to assimilate and take on Greek culture. He forced people to worship Greek gods or die. 40,000 Jews were slaughtered in a terrible, gruesome manner, and another 40,000 were taken as slaves. Epiphanes has often been compared with the Antichrist. Those that stood up against him were killed. Many Jews assimilated, hoping evil would go away by itself. But assimilation made it even worse. Epiphanes conquered the temple and desecrated it. The tides turned into 165 BC when one small family of priests said, 
No, we're not going to assimilate. We're going to worship our God only. They believed in faith and said, Our God is mightier. The Maccabees stood up in the face of evil and started living in the offensive instead of only on the defensive. They grabbed what weapons they had and started fighting to take back the country, believing in their God. At first, they suffered many losses, but slowly people started to join them. Their weapons were not always physical, for they had very real, very little real weapons. They prayed and fasted and called upon God. Instead of sitting at home and waiting to defend themselves against the Greek army, they went into the offensive and attacked the enemy. And God granted them favor and answered their prayers. In 167 BC, they reconquered the temple and defeated the entire Greek army. And when they found the temple, they saw that it was completely desecrated. They cleansed it and rededicated it and put on the light of the menorah. But there was only enough oil for one night. God multiplied the oil and it lasted for eight days. Hanukkah means dedication. And we celebrate it for eight days. And it starts on the 25th of the Hebrew calendar of Kislev, the Hebrew month of Kislev, usually in December. And we celebrate God's great miracles and his light. Now, the first lesson of spiritual warfare that we can learn from Hanukkah is saying no to assimilation. Like I said before, Hanukkah has been compared with the end times and the end and the Antichrist. And through this story, we can actually see the strategy of the enemy in the end times. It starts with assimilation and tolerating evil. Assimilation actually means allowing other gods into our lives and tolerating evil in order to try to get rid of it. It means we stop setting borders and naively think that evil will leave if we tolerate it. But evil doesn't work that way. It comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and it doesn't go away by tolerating it. In my book, Awestruck by Glory, you can read on page 22 how the enemy came to our house, and the first thing the enemy, this dark witch, said was that evil didn't exist, and therefore we tolerated it, and then you can bring it into your life. I'll just read right now from Awestruck by Glory, page 22. I responded, and how about evil? Evil doesn't exist, only negativity, she replied with authority. I did not question her, and at once I stopped being negative in any way. It's all about love and acceptance of everybody, she said. Negativity is society's main problem. That was basically the beginning of the fall, for because of that, we allowed evil into our lives and we just accepted it and we thought everything was about love and the enemy actually came with love and tolerance but and we just wanted to accept that all and we did not set borders 
When we don't set borders and allow everything, we also allow darkness. And that's exactly what evil wants to be allowed in. The enemy will then come against you and say that you are actually discriminating if you say no. In today's world, discrimination is no longer a word used to stop evil, but instead the enemy turns it around against you and you will be discriminating if you don't allow evil. In the last decade, many people in the church have assimilated. They say, it doesn't matter. Evil will go away by itself. We don't have to stand up for the Bible. Otherwise, we will be separated from society. We have to integrate uh, the, in, because in order to be accepted. We just want peace so we can all accept each other. The story of Hanukkah shows that peace doesn't come by tolerating evil. In the Bible, God does not allow evil either. He abhors it and wants us to separate from it and cleanse our houses and bodies, our temples. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5.20 The Apostle Paul said, Abstain even from all appearance of evil in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. And he also says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Ephesians 5.11-12 Now, according to the Old Testament, God is a jealous God, and He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. The Old Testament is filled with stories that show that God does not allow evil. King Hezekiah and King Josiah even had to purge their entire country from evil and the appearance of evil. God did not allow it and say, oh yes, it's okay to assimilate, to put everything together. No, he said, stay away from other gods. In fact, the Israelites were greatly punished because of it. If God didn't spare the Israelites, who were the apple of his eye, why do you think he would spare you? Now, Christians often use all kinds of excuses. They say, we, but then we can't be part of society otherwise. It's everywhere. Or they'll say, well, it's okay because the blood of Jesus covers me now. We have freedom through through Christ. No, but if I do, it's going back under the law because we have grace. We can allow it. Now, this is my question to you. Our freedom was bought at a price. Jesus bought our freedom with his own blood. Jesus did not pay for our freedom with his life so that we could go back and allow evil in. We can live in freedom with wisdom to make borders and honor for the freedom that Jesus paid for. So yes, we live in freedom and should not be afraid of evil, but it doesn't mean that we should allow it. We have to set borders. In the spirit realm, actually, borders are very important. 
God gave us a free will to allow things and not to allow things. And when we open all borders and tolerate evil, we become an open door. The enemy is continually trying to cross our borders to gain access to us, to get permission through all kinds of tactics. Paul actually says, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good, Romans 12, 9. And hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Do you know Jesus did not tolerate evil at all. He came to set us free from darkness. He came to expose the works of the devil. He cast demons out. He didn't allow them in a house and say it was all right. In fact, he did just the opposite. He died to set us free from all the contracts the demons made with us, and his blood flowed to pay the price for our sins and for allowing evil in. He wants us to live with God in the light and have nothing to do with the darkness. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. He said we would never walk in darkness. Will the devil and sin go away if we allow it into our churches? Absolutely not. Will evil just go away if we tolerate it? Absolutely not. My book, I had to, in my book, you can read how I had to cleanse all evil and not to allow it in. The story of Hanukkah shows that evil doesn't go away by assimilation and just tolerance of everything. Peace is not brought about by allowing other gods or sin into our lives. The enemy only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Assimilation with other religions and all kinds of tolerance of things that are unbiblical has not helped the church. In fact, in the last years, there's been a great falling away, and the churches became smaller and smaller, just like the story of Hanukkah. As the church becomes smaller, the enemy will come and persecute those remaining and try to reconquer, to conquer their temples, their bodies, and desecrate them. The remaining few feel attacked from all sides. Indeed, this is what's happening in the church right now. Everywhere I go, I hear people say, help, I'm being attacked. My health, my finances, my friends. At prayer meetings, we are mostly praying for protection from evil and help in overcoming each individual attack. Some Christians have even stopped praying for fear of being attacked by the enemy. What should we do? The second lesson about spiritual warfare in the Hanukkah story is to stand up and go on the offense instead of the defense. Indeed, Hanukkah has a great lesson for the church today in the end times. We know we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against an invisible enemy of darkness who is very real. The Lord has given us many weapons for defense and offense in order to take back the kingdom. Like the Maccabees, as long as we sit at home and live in the defense, we will not overcome. The enemy will keep coming at us until we start standing up for our God and say, 
No, I will worship God only and go and set the captives free. What Judas the Maccabee did in the physical realm, the church is called to do in the spiritual realm. Start living in the offense instead of the defense. If you only live in the defense, you will be attacked continually. The darkness will keep attacking until you are weak and give in to him. To defeat him, we must go on the offense. Derek Prince writes this about the offense. A, general, a French general once said, In a war, which army wins? The one which advances. As long as Satan keeps the church on the defensive, his kingdom will never be overthrown. The church must be on the offensive. Jesus promised us that if we obey him as our commander-in-chief, we will be able to move out, storm Satan's citadels, break through the gates, release his captives, and carry away his spoil. You can read that in Derek Prince, Spiritual Warfare, from 2013, page 90 and 92. He also said, we have an obligation to take the offense, offensive, to move out and actively attack Satan's kingdom. It is a fact of history that the battle cannot be won strictly on the defense. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that is on the offense. It is time to take back the kingdom reclaim the temples and start striking the devil instead of waiting for him to attack us. In my book, Awestruck by Glory, you will read my testimony. Now, I know that if I would have just sat at home and only prayed for protection against the enemy, that he would have continually attacked us nonstop. The Lord had me do the exact opposite He had me go on the offense by telling my testimony, even when it was really, really difficult. I had to go out, and when I did, that is when the enemy fled. Now, let me read to you from page 159, Victory Day, what exactly happened. On January 5th, 2014, my husband and I ran down the stairs and turned on the television. My interview was being aired. I looked at the date on the calendar and noticed that it was exactly one year after Lily had left our house. My chest felt like it would explode as the program started. I saw myself talking about Jesus' victory over her. Then I raised both my hands in the air and shouted, Hallelujah! That afternoon, I read an article on Facebook about the meaning of the word follow me. It was about what it meant to follow Jesus and leave everything behind for him. It touched my soul deeply. I had literally been called to follow him and was sent out to tell the world, to give up everything for the one who saved me. I later learned that the TV interview was truly part of spiritual warfare. The more I testified and spoke about the victory of Jesus, the more the demons fled. Sitting at home only on the defense would not have made them flee. I had to go on the offense, talk about it, and expose the darkness to defeat it. When I shared our testimony and glorified what he did for us, it worked like a sword in the spiritual world. Our testimony is one of the greatest weapons we have. The more we expose the darkness and talk about what Jesus has done, 
the more evil flees. The enemy doesn't want his secrets exposed and might fight back, but we have to be willing to lose everything. We have to be so sure of the blood of Jesus that we are willing to step out and make a fool of ourselves and even give up our securities. Now, offensive warfare is not sitting around and waiting and just responding in defense. It means we take the initiative in the attack. The attacker has the advantage of making decisions first. It gains territory rather than just defending it. Offensive advances are the only type of spiritual warfare which will actually reach the world, go out into the world with the gospel. We cannot just remain in our, the safety of our homes and comfortable churches and practice defensive strategies only. The army of God must advance into enemy territory. It must go to the strongholds of Satan with the power of the gospel message. So how do we do that? How do we start living in the offense? How do we attack the enemy and break his lines? We pick up the weapons that God has given us, and we do what Jesus told us to do, to go out. Offensive weapons are, for example, blood, testimony, being willing to give our lives, prayer, praise, preaching, and going out to heal the sick, cast out demons, and tell the gospel. Here is a list of eight offensive weapons that we can use to overcome the enemy in the end times. Number one, the blood of the lamb. Revelation twelve eleven says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life unto death. Passover and communion proclaim the victory of Jesus and remind the enemy of his blood that overcame. When we pronounce the blood, the enemy flees. Communion is a remembrance of the blood of Jesus with, with every cup. We can do it every moment of the day. A Passover is a special time where we have four cups and, cups and we come together in unity at his table and decree the victory of Jesus and prophesy it over our family and friends and the world so they can find freedom. They are both a memorial of the blood of the lamb, but Passover also tells the testimony of how God rescued us from darkness. Jews tell the story of Egypt, but Jesus told us to celebrate it in honor of him at the Last Supper. So on this day, we remember the blood of Jesus that shed for us, and we tell his story, his testimony to our friends and family. On Passover, we come together in unity at God's table and remember the blood of the Lamb, and we decree and declare it, and we put the enemy to shame. We tell the story of the testimony of how God saved us out of Egypt, out of sin. And we also tell the greatest testimony of all, the testimony of Jesus. According to Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We're not just telling a story. We are decreeing his victory in unity out loud and prophesying over our household and friends and asking God to do it again. Celebrating Passover for Jesus 
is one of the highest levels of spiritual warfare in defeating the enemy. You are decreeing the blood of Jesus fourfold and telling the testimony of Jesus at the same time. It is one of the most powerful offensive weapons the church can do during the end times. Now, in my book, Awestruck by Glory, you will read how the Lord called us to organize a huge Passover for 400 people. And it was all done by great miracles. And it was all done by the Lord. And it was actually part of the spiritual warfare that we had to go through to defeat the enemy. During that time, the Lord gave me a dream. And in that dream, I saw a sword on the table. And I learned that celebrating Passover was one of the most powerful things we can do in the spirit realm. This is the day we proclaim our freedom, declare that the enemy lost, and remind him of the blood. Now, yes, we can proclaim the victory in the blood of Jesus every day by speaking the blood of Jesus and claiming it over our families and our loved ones. And we can also celebrate communion every day. And on Passover, we do it extra strong once a year for all our family. The second offensive weapon that you can use to defeat the enemy is your testimony. Your testimony is a powerful weapon in defeating the darkness, and sharing it with courage helps overcome the devil. Telling your story exposes the enemy and makes demons flee. Remember, that's the second thing the Lord told me to do. Go out, testify, tell the story. That's what I had to do to defeat the enemy. In Revelation 12, 11, it doesn't say we will defeat the devil by sitting at home in the church and praying for protection. It says we have to go out without fear every chance we get. This key is especially important during the end times. Why? Because speaking about the blood of Jesus and going out and speaking our testimony is that a key spiritual weapon against the darkness. So go out and glorify God for what he has done and expose the enemy. The enemy trembles when you tell your testimony because it exposes him and then demons want to run. Tell your story and your words need to go out. Number three, love not your life until death. This part of Revelation 12, 11 is often forgotten. It means we shouldn't hang on to our own lives, but we are willing to give up our lives for him. Sometimes sharing your testimony means that you have to lay down your life completely and trust him 100%. It means we have to be willing to have so much courage that your own life is no longer important. Not loving your life until death means extreme courage and being willing to risk everything for him. Number four, put on the armor of God, as it says in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 17. But in 17b, it gives an offensive weapon, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God, the Bible, when it is spoken out loud, is a weapon that can be used for defense and offense. 
Offensively, it is used to claim territory for the Lord by sharing the gospel message and setting the captives free and by praying God's word over people. So I suggest pronounce the word of God over situations and over people. Number five, pray and fast against the enemy. Yes, of course, we got to pray for protection and guard ourselves, but that alone is not enough. Praying and fasting are very important weapons, just like in the Hanukkah stories. That's exactly what the Maccabees did. Now, Derek Prince, he even calls prayer a spiritual interballistic missile because it reaches all through time and space anywhere in the world. With prayer, you can break curses. You can pray that the enemy will lose. You should pray that the enemy will be divided and fall. You can tear down strongholds with your prayers. You can bind and loose because God has given you the power to bind the forces of evil and loose the forces of good. And when you fast, it breaks bonds of wickedness. According to Isaiah 53, 6, it says, Is not this the fast that I choose to, cho- to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? So through prayer and fasting, you can wage mighty battles in the unseen realms. Number six is go preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, and cast out demons. According to Matthew 10, 8, Jesus said to go and tell all the world about what he has done and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He didn't tell his disciples to stay at home. He said them for them to go out and actually do it. So go out and preach as much as you can. Tell people about the great about the gospel and what Jesus can do for them, about the blood of Jesus that can set them free. Your words have power. And when you pray for healing, pray for the healing of the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, you are actively attack, attacking the kingdom of the enemy. And he will start to flee. Don't be afraid to go forth. Go forth with much courage and know who you are in Christ. Now, number seven is very important. It's worship and praise. Worship is actually a form of warfare in the Old Testament. And many times, actually, the worshipers go first. For example, during the conquering of Jericho, and many of the other battles. We also see this in 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17, when Jehoshaphat has to fight against Ammon and Moab. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and, Je- and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle by yourself. Take up your positions. 
Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And as they began to sing and praise, in verse 22, the Lord sets an ambush, set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. It says, as they began to sing and praise the Lord, your worship and your praise to the Lord brings down the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord comes and he fights the battle for you. And his glory comes all around. So it is so important that this goes together with the other things that I mentioned in offensive warfare. And the last one, well, not there's many more, but these are eight important issues. The eighth important offensive weapon is the actual name of Jesus. Mark sixteen seventeen says, The name of Jesus has authority and power, and that power he has given us. We can pronounce it. And when we do, demons have to listen and flee. It is a powerful, offensive weapon. <laughs> Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out demons, heal the sick, and overcome all the power of the enemy. His name alone, pronouncing his name alone, has power in the spiritual realm. And you can decree and declare it over your friends and your family, over the people around you. So, to conclude, stop assimilating and discussing theological issues. Start fighting in the spiritual world for your God. Then the battle will be won. I pray that the story of Hanukkah will inspire Christians to stand up for God and that they will stop assimilating and tolerating evil. I pray they will start living in the offensive and start fighting the enemy. Israel would not have won if Judah the Maccabee did not stand up against the Greeks. Pick up your spiritual weapons and attack your enemy and set the captives free. Reconquer the temples, cleanse them, and pray to the Lord for grace to refill our oil and multiply it and let great miracles happen. But in all things, remember this. The battle is the Lord's, not yours, and He will give you the victory. So trust in him completely. Ask God also to fill your temple with his oil, the Holy Spirit, and let your light shine before men. Remember, in the end, it was God's miracles which saved the nation of Israel, also during Hanukkah. God gave a miracle of conquest and they overcame, and he confirmed this with another miracle of light in the temple. The real deliverance came after the men started living in the offense and started using their faith and trusting in God's delivering power. And then the miracles started. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. And if you want to know more about my testimony, then I refer you to my book, Awestruck by Glory, which is available on Amazon and on online bookstores.
You can also visit my website, awestruckbyglory.com. You'll find lots of information there about the spirit realm and about Yeshua and the supernatural. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, Awestruck with Jennifer Guetta, and find lots of videos all about Israel and spiritual warfare in Yeshua. Or go to Facebook, follow me on Facebook and Insta. I also have a Telegram channel, and you can follow me there. It's called Prophecy from the Galilee. And if you want to hear more of these messages, then don't forget to follow this podcast, Awestruck Secrets of the Supernatural. Many blessings to you, and may our Lord Yeshua, Jesus, guide you in every way. Bye.